0: Welcome back to Inside the Yale Admissions Office. My name is Mark, and I'm a Yale Admissions Officer.
1: And I'm Hannah. I'm also a Yale Admissions Officer.
0: Welcome to part three of our three-part series all about Yale's test-flexible policy. This episode is going to be some oral history of the past four years.
1: So much has happened in those four (laughs) years.
0: (laughs) Before 2020, Yale required the SAT or the ACT for all applicants. Then we went to being test-optional for four admission cycles. That meant that students could apply with or without the SAT or the ACT. And now we are launching a new program called Test Flexible, That will mean that applicants will submit the ACT or the SAT or Advanced Placement exams or International Baccalaureate exams or some combination of those four.
1: We're going to talk a little bit about how we arrived at this point, and we're going to do our best to explain why we think this policy is the right choice for Yale.
0: We're also going to bring back our boss, Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid, Jeremiah Quinlan, to help with that part.
1: Yeah, so if you're looking for the nitty-gritty details of the new policy and what you need to know about it as an applicant, check out part two. That episode is subtitled The Details, and also be sure to review all the good stuff we put on our website.
0: If you want to know more about how Yale admissions officers consider test scores, what we think they tell us, what we think they don't tell us, go back and listen to part one. That's called The Big Picture. And if you want an even bigger picture, stick around for our bonus episode all about an elaborate baseball analogy that I've been cooking up over the past few weeks and I can't wait to share with you.
1: All right, let's kick off our story time part of the episode.
0: Once upon a time, Mm. well, no, specifically spring of 2020... The pandemic is turning the whole world upside down.
1: We started recording our podcast, episode one, just a couple weeks before that craziness Mm -hmm. began. And we did our third episode all about the pandemic and how we were responding.
0: I'm not sure, but that has to be one of the least popular episodes right now. Our third episode was about COVID and we recorded in April of that year. I have zero interest in revisiting 2020. We do not recommend going back and listening to that one.
1: At the same time, that was all happening. We were wrapping up the selection process for the first year class that was would matriculate in fall 2020, and we still had our previous testing policy, which was that every applicant needed to have an ACT or SAT scores. You'd self-report the score on your application, and if you were admitted and decided to come to Yale, we'd verify your score over the summer.
0: By early summer of that year, it became pretty clear that for the next cycle of applicants, meaning students who would be seniors in high school, applying to college during the 2020 and 21 academic year, they were just not going to have many chances to take tests. It was Ugh. such a wacky and frustrating time. Yes,
1: yes. Um, the College Board ran AP exams in this online format um, that students could take from home. And all of the you know crazy things that you can imagine could happen on the internet happened with those tests.
0: Yeah. We also saw students who would keep registering to take the ACT weeks in advance. And then the testing center would cancel that test just a a few days before the test and it could happen over and over and over again. You could be super well prepared for a test, mm-hmm. spend a lot of time trying to schedule a test and just completely strike out over and over again.
1: Yeah, it was not a good situation. So two things became very clear very quickly. Yale and about every other college would have to waive our usual testing requirements and allow students to just apply without the SAT or the ACT.
0: Yeah, it also became clear that we would have to ensure that we didn't disadvantage applicants who applied without test scores. After all, you just simply couldn't take the test in many parts of the world for months and months.
1: That was new for us, but it didn't really worry us. We were getting a lot of questions around that time from people asking, how are you going to do this? Mm-hmm. How are you going to change your whole selection process to accommodate students without scores? And we weren't too worried about it.
0: Yeah, I remember telling people that summer and fall, you know, I, I really don't think this is going to be a huge disruption for our process. And that was totally true. We went into this pretty optimistic that it wouldn't be a big deal. That's primarily because we had never operated with any sort of rubric or weighting system for evaluating applications in which test scores were some critical component. So like we didn't have to reprogram anything. And those test scores have also just been one component of a whole person review process. It's always a real person on the other end of the application looking at those scores when we have them alongside everything else.
1: Yeah. So practically speaking, the process of reading applications and going through committee didn't really change at all. For files with test scores, we'd see the score alongside everything else. And Mm -hmm. for files without test scores, we just wouldn't have test scores. But we'd still have a lot of other information in the file.
0: It might be helpful to think about the time involved. Mm -hmm. It probably takes around 15 minutes to read a complete application back to front, I would estimate it takes about 15 seconds of those 15 (laughs) minutes to read your scores. If that. (laughs) Yeah, and that's true whether those scores are great or not so great. It's just not the core substance of the application.
1: So back in 2020, we also had a few admissions officers on staff who had worked at other colleges with test optional policies. So this wasn't totally new to them. And they led some really helpful training sessions at the start of that first cycle that made sure we were all kind of on the same page about this.
0: Yeah, so we went into this pretty optimistic and we are happy to report. report that our initial guesses about that shift to test optional, they turned out to be totally true.
1: Mm -hmm. Having said that, um, even though our selection process didn't see big changes, we were really interested to see big changes to who applied. That that was a change for us. Um, and we were interested to see if there were changes to who was admitted. That didn't really change nearly as much.
0: All right. So let's go back in time to the test optional policy and what happened to the pool and our class of admitted students.
1: Oh, boy. Did our application pool go up?
0: <laughs> yes. That was the most obvious Effect. It went up by a lot.
1: That first cycle that we went test optional, first year applications rose by 33%. So we got over 11,000 more applications that year compared with the previous year when we required tests. And transfer applications actually went up by an even higher percentage.
0: The cycle after that? First-year applications were up another 7%. The year after that, another 5%. And this current admission cycle that we're in, applications are up another 10% just on top of last year. So that means in just four years, Yale went from receiving about 35,000 first-year applications to more than 57,000. Yeah. That's a 66% increase. And we'll mention this is during a time when we didn't have any more beds in Yale College that would enable us to admit more students.
1: Some people might think Yale must love this. More applications means you're more selective and that's your goal, right? And the answer is no. No. I think we have busted this myth before on one of our previous episodes, but... More applications just to have more applications is never our goal. What we really care about is the strength and the diversity of the applicant pool because that's what you need to enroll a really strong and really diverse first-year class.
0: As we went into that first test optional cycle, there was this big question that we were pretty excited to answer because this whole thing kind of served as a natural experiment. Mm -hmm. We were excited to see if you remove the ACT or the SAT requirement Is that gonna help nudge some students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds to apply to Yale? And we thought this might be the case because we know that nationally, students from those kinds of backgrounds have lower scores on average than others. But we've also known that when students with lower scores had applied in years when we required test scores, committees were still able to admit them because lots of other parts of their application were strong and compelling, especially their transcripts. And we knew that a score that was below our typical range was still predictive that a student would do well in Yale classes. So -hmm. the question was really how many students are out there? who haven't been applying because they've been sort of incorrectly disqualifying themselves from applying to a school like Yale when they look at their scores.
1: Mm. Just as a quick side note, the public radio show This American Life did an episode about this very question back in March of 2021. Ira Glass interviewed Jeremiah for that. So check it out for more on that topic.
0: So as the applicant pool got larger, we can say for certain that it contained a much higher share of two groups of students.
1: Yeah, starting with international applicants, this is Mm -hmm. a group that I work with a lot. The group of international applicants has increased by 130% (laughs) since we went test optional. That is twice the overall increase. Mm -hmm. It's pretty easy to understand why this happened. Registering for and taking the SAT or ACT abroad is much more challenging than it is in the US. And understandably, many international students haven't invested the same amount of time in preparing for or learning about those tests. So removing that barrier meant that a lot more international students could apply, and they did.
0: The other big increase in our applicant pool was from applicants who simply had very weak high school transcripts. Yeah. We don't have an estimate for this, but as we discussed in our Reading Reloaded episode from last year, we simply have a lot more applications these days from students who kind of don't meet our basic necessary but not sufficient criteria to be viable candidates in our process. And this is true now for applicants who have test scores and applicants who don't have test scores. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't know really exactly why this was the case, but it seems clear that some prospective students perceived test optional to mean that they could just kind of take a flyer on applying because, hey, why not? We totally get where that's coming from, but we've got to say that's just not a good strategy for applying to any college.
1: We also saw some increases in the pool from students who will be the first in their families to attend college, students who are from lower income neighborhoods and households, and students who are members of underrepresented minority groups, though we'll remind you that per the 2023 Supreme Court decision, we don't yet know about the racial or ethnic composition of this year's applicant pool.
0: Those increases were positive to see, but as we zoomed out, we noticed that they were pretty much following the slope of the increases that we were seeing each year before we went to test optional. You Mm -hmm. sort of couldn't obviously say, oh yes, Adopting the test optional policy brought more of those students into your applicant pool. Mm -hmm. With those other groups, international students and academically weak students, the increase was much larger.
1: Yeah, so we think there was probably some positive effect of nudging some competitive applicants from disadvantaged backgrounds into our pool who might have previously opted out because of the test requirement. But the biggest changes in the pool were from other students. The scale of those increases really eclipse any other changes.
0: Let's share some of the data that people have been asking us for for the past several years. It's been simply roughly half of our applicant pool who has applied with scores and about half who have applied without. Among our admitted students, it's been about 75% of our admitted students applied with scores and about 25% without scores. If you just look at the rate of admission, it's been about a 6% admit rate for students with scores and only a 2% rate of admission for students without scores.
1: Yeah, so it's easy to hear those numbers and think, oh, you've been disadvantaging students just because they haven't had scores. But remember that those stats don't control for other factors like a student's transcript or any of the other things in the application that can't be quantified.
0: It's also worth pointing out that over the last three years, we've admitted more than 1,500 students without ACT or SAT scores. And after the cycle, we'll probably be at more than 2,000. It is simply not the case that those students have been some kind of second-class citizens in our applicant pool. But in the end, we found that going to test optional didn't dramatically change the demographic profile of who was admitted and who enrolled. We have been very excited to enroll the most diverse classes in Yale's history over the past few years. Uh, For example, this past year, we had more than double the number of students who were eligible for a federal Pell Grant that's given to low-income students than we did 10 years ago. But again, those trends have been pretty steady from before we went test optional. We didn't see sort of a big change in the slope of that graph.
1: And from all the data we've seen, this has been true at other selective colleges as well. Mm. There just hasn't been a massive sea change in who enrolls in selective colleges, even after just about all of us went test optional.
0: Testing is back to pre-pandemic levels. We have a policy that we put in place in response to the pandemic it was incumbent upon us to take a look at that policy and see if it was still right for us. So we've spent a lot of time doing that examining and we decided the test optional isn't the right long-term policy for Yale, but neither is returning to requiring the SAT or the ACT.
1: The most significant reason for returning to requiring tests is that they help establish the academic foundation of an application. Mm -hmm. When we're reading applications, we're thinking ahead to the committee process and we're asking ourselves, Can I make a persuasive case to the admissions committee that this student should be admitted even though we are going to deny more than 95% of our applicants.
0: The foundation of every one of those cases in the committee room has to be a student's academic strength. Mm -hmm. It should probably go without saying, but Yale is first and foremost an academic institution and our undergraduate program is really rigorous. No matter what you major in, you're gonna need to take classes in science and math and humanities, foreign language and social sciences. So we know that no matter how interesting or accomplished an applicant is, If we don't see that they have a really solid academic foundation at the core of their application, you just simply can't build a case.
1: Not having testing for half of our applicants meant that we ultimately had less evidence available to establish a strong academic foundation for some otherwise really compelling applicants. And we found this was especially the case for students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds if they attended a high school that didn't have a strong college prep program.
0: And remember, before going to test optional, we had lots of experience reviewing applications that included test scores that are below our median, Mm -hmm. but that stand out in context. Yale was an enthusiastic early adopter of a tool called Landscape that the College Board provides. It gives us this really amazingly rich data picture of a student's high school and neighborhood, and it helps to highlight students whose scores might be lower in the context of our applicant pool, but really high in the context of their high school.
1: Now, a student's transcript is still the most important document in the file, but when a student attends a school that has had very few or no advanced classes, their transcript tells us much less than a student who's at a well-resourced high school. Of course, we see similar issues with things like activities lists, essays, teacher recommendations. Students who attend well-resourced schools that send lots of students to selective colleges tend to have a lot of other evidence in their application that demonstrates their preparation for college.
0: In other words, it's pretty easy to find substitutes for standardized Test in those kinds of environments, our concern, and as it turned out, our experience has been that test optional winds up advantaging students in well resourced contexts.
1: Contrast that with a student in a very different high school environment who doesn't have a test score, and it becomes very difficult to find the evidence that a student is likely to thrive in Yale's liberal arts program.
0: What we've found is that the option to apply without test scores has motivated a lot of applicants to omit any score that they felt was less than perfect. That's been true of the SAT and the ACT, as well as AP and IB subject-based exams. Mm -hmm. As an application reader, you know, it's not totally disorienting or disrupting to read a file without scores, but as a matter of necessity, you have to place greater emphasis on the other available elements. And as it turns out, that change in emphasis can actually work against students from disadvantaged backgrounds.
1: We feel pretty confident, based in part on our success in increasing the number of first-generation and low-income students in the class during years when we did require test scores, that applicants are better served by submitting some scores, even less than perfect scores, and even scores other than the SAT or ACT, than if they submit no scores at all.
0: The next reason is what we'll say is sort of a response to one of the frustrating downsides associated with test-optional. And this was dealing with something that I like to call the big question. (laughs) The big question is simply, should I submit my scores or not?
1: Yeah, this has been the question since day one. It is a very good, very reasonable question for any prospective applicant with anything short of a perfect score to ask. It totally makes sense. But it's really hard for us to give you a satisfying answer for that question.
0: Yes, it's very hard to give a satisfying answer because the question presumes... That there's some kind of break point, Mm. that there's some number we can give you and we can say, hey, if it's above this score, it's going to help you. And if it's below the score, it's going to hurt you. And sorry, folks, it just isn't that simple. Our process is holistic and contextual. The same score can mean two different things in two different contexts. So what we wound up with was an answer that we had to give about kind of thinking about whether you felt good about the score and whether you felt it was a good addition to the application file. And I completely understand why students, parents, and counselors have not really liked that answer.
1: What people tend to do when they hear that answer is to go and look at the published ranges of test scores for incoming students and base their decision off of that range. Mm -hmm. So that range is the middle 50%, gives you the score at the 25th percentile of incoming students and the 75th percentile. We have those scores on our website. We haven't been updating or publishing data on those scores of admitted students during our test optional years because essentially what happened is we stopped getting scores from students who scored below that 25th percentile. 25% 25% of our class, when we required scores, were admitted with scores below that figure mm-hmm. that people have been using as their breakpoint. And scores below that 25th percentile can be just as helpful, if not more helpful, than higher scores. Yes, this is
0: a critical point. Because students have tended to think about this in terms of helping or hurting, they have been very reluctant to include scores that are below that 25th percentile. What that means from our perspective is that rather than seeing a lower score that we can still evaluate and put into context and incorporate with other elements of the file, we simply had nothing. And that meant that we did not know if a student was scoring pretty close to that 25th percentile, or if they were several standard deviations below that. When we didn't have a score, we have nothing to look at.
1: To help inform our process of making a long-term decision about testing policy, we enlisted the help of some very smart people with PhDs who work in Yale's Office of Institutional Research. We handed them tons of data on our applicant pool, and they crunched the numbers to give us some insights on exactly how the pool had changed, who appeared to benefit from applying without test scores, And how are students who were admitted without test scores doing in their Yale College courses?
0: And here again to talk to us about that experience and about that data is Dean of Undergraduate Admissions and Financial Aid, Jeremiah Quinnen. Welcome back, Jeremiah. Hi, Mark and Hannah. So great to be here. Welcome. I think I want to start with just a simple question. How would you describe the experience of the last four years from your vantage point?
1: I would say
2: it was both positive and eye-opening. Positive because the experience really reinforced the foundation and power of thoughtful whole-person review, but also eye-opening because it served as a natural experiment for something we wouldn't have tried otherwise. In 2019, we were not planning to make a change to our testing policy, Mm -hmm. and obviously nature intervened, and we had an opportunity to evaluate what operating in a slightly different space would look like. I feel really good after many admissions cycles being test optional that the admissions committee can operate without tests, but given the choice, the positives we gain from including tests in our review process outweigh any negatives.
1: What would you say is the, the weight of standardized tests in our admissions process?
2: Well, as any loyal listener of the podcast will tell you, <laughs> the answer to this question is always, it depends. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. OK, you've passed our test. <laughs> you can stay on the podcast. <laughs>
2: Tests are only one part of a much larger whole-person review process. They are one data point among many. And there is no specific weight associated with any specific standardized test in our process. For some students, scores can tell us something new and important. They can fill in gaps in an academic record that we don't see elsewhere in the file. They can provide reassurances that a student is well-prepared for the academic rigors of Yale. But for many, if not most, applicants, The scores align very clearly with lots of other indicators. If you can put yourself in our shoes, you can imagine the task we have in front of us in reviewing 57,000 applications from tens of thousands of high schools from all over the country and all over the world. And I hope you can imagine how it would be useful to have something standardized across all of those different contexts. Even if you consider standardized testing as imperfect and incomplete, the value of this reference point is very high. Jeremiah, we have been sort of teasing out in this episode that we have
0: reviewed a lot of data and analysis around this question of basically what happened when we went test optional. Mm-hmm. What are the major conclusions
2: of those analyses? This is obviously a great question and kind of the crux of, of why we're making this change. First, our analysis reiterated long standing findings that students with higher SAT or ACT scores were more likely to have higher college GPAs than their peers with lower scores. The SAT and the ACT score of our applicants are the single greatest predictor of Yale GPA among all of the available variables. And in contrast, high school GPA does a relatively poor job of predicting academic success at Yale. This is slightly different than the national research on this topic. That makes sense because at Yale, we are very fortunate to have this incredibly qualified applicant pool and we are admitting students within a very limited range of Mm -hmm. high school GPAs. So the standardized testing provides us with more of a signal. During the past three years, students admitted with the SAT or ACT scores earned higher Yale GPAs than students admitted without. Now, students we admitted without any testing have done well at Yale, but the difference in averages are statistically significant. We've also found that students with higher AP scores were more likely to earn higher Yale GPAs than their peers with lower scores. We also found that students from first generation and low income backgrounds were more likely to be admitted with standardized test scores when they were available. Mm -hmm. This is true even after controlling for all other variables. And this is the result of some of the dynamics discussed earlier and is one of the primary reasons we are changing our policy. When we look at the testing submission rates over the past few years. It is very clear that the only factor that was determining whether or not an applicant to Yale would submit their test score or not was the score itself. Mm -hmm. Students who are applying to Yale are smart. They are strategic. They are going to our website and looking at our testing profile. And if they had a test score that was above the median, they would submit it. And Mm -hmm. if they had a test score that was below the median, Mm -hmm. they would not submit it. And there are many students who are applying to Yale Who would benefit from submitting a test score that is below our median? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As you both went into in great detail uh, in a previous episode, we are admitting students with a wide range of test scores, and they can tell us so many things about a student's academic preparation. So we were missing out on what I would consider to be incredibly valuable scores, incredibly valuable information about a student's academic preparation for Yale from students from all backgrounds who were not submitting the scores because they were being strategic about whether or not to submit
1: them. So now that we're moving towards a more flexible policy, what would you say is your is your goal?
2: I think our f- my first goal here is to align our communication to prospective students and families with our actual practice in the admissions committee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For several years now, I have been meditating on the fact that we have been test optional. And as Mark and Hannah have highlighted, when they get asked the question about whether or not they should admit the, mm-hmm. submit the test or not, mm-hmm. the answer is always... It depends, or you have to make this decision for yourselves. We really wanted to make sure that what we were communicating to students and families and educators was lining up with our process and that we were increasing the transparency around our standardized testing policy. Mm-hmm. Our second goal is to give our committees the evidence they need to respond to strong students from all backgrounds. It has been challenging to operate with less evidence and to see that applicants who are more likely to have less evidence are those from under-resourced backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And our third goal is to help students put their best foot forward in this process. I don't think that being test optional was allowing students to put their best foot forward, Mm -hmm. for the reasons I just discussed. Students who were not submitting their test score were inadvertently hurting their chances of admission to Yale. Mm -hmm. What we are doing now is offering students an opportunity to think about their standardized testing profile if they have multiple scores, And apply using a score that they think highlights their academic strength. We have Yale data that supports that subject exams are predictive, that AP scores are predictive, and we want to have those data in front of us as we review thousands of applications. I also think that flexibility is a good thing, and we like that the policy pulls some focus away from the SAT and the ACT. I think we are clearly moving to a world where students are applying from a wider range of backgrounds to Yale College with a different set of exposures. And if students are not necessarily excited about spending part of their high school experience preparing for the SAT or ACT, but they also can submit an IB score or an AP score, we certainly welcome those applicants and think we will have enough data to respond positively to them if they're competitive and
0: compelling. Yeah, I guess that tees up my next question, Jeremiah, which is why not just simply go back to requiring the SAT? The ACT? That's certainly an option that we've considered and that some
2: universities have gone with. Great question. Two main reasons. The first is that we have been able to do our work and do our work well without test scores for a majority of our applicants the last few years. We have had a positive experience, so we wanted to make sure we did not necessarily just go back to the 2019 policy. And the world has changed. Even though most high school students are still taking the SAT or the ACT, so many colleges are now test optional, and many, including the entire University of California system, are test blind. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to disadvantage students who haven't had the SAT or ACT as part of their application planning process to this point. A third, smaller reason is that we think standardized testing is in a pretty dynamic moment. New tests are being developed, and the SAT and ACT, while important, aren't as central to the conversation as they once were. Mm -hmm. So by establishing this new test-flexible policy, we feel like we're in the best position to move forward, incorporating updates and potentially add new tests to our list of tests that meet our requirement in the future. I think the last few years has told us you have to be nimble. You have to be flexible. The world is always changing. And so we want to be best prepared to do that moving forward.
1: So if our goal is kind of flexibility here, I mean, I think a question on a lot of people's minds will be, why not just stick with that test optional policy? We said, you know, we could do the work. So why make the change now?
2: I think we've now had multiple years of data and multiple years of experience in the committee room and as we got through each month and each cycle i became more and more convinced that we weren't being honest about the reality of our admissions process to students and parents our admissions committee is denying 98% of the students who are applying without test scores mm-hmm. and we were feeling like we were missing out on some important data from students from High schools we had never seen applicants from, Mm. or students who clearly had academic strengths, but weren't giving us the full picture before, and so we really wanted to make this change now. The huge surge in applications has, for the most part, been from students who are not competitive in our applicant pool. And the anxiety and confusion around whether to submit Mm -hmm. the ACT or the SAT has not abated, it has only increased, and there isn't an easier, consistent answer out there. And finally, We wanna give all students from all backgrounds the same opportunity to convince the admissions committee that they are prepared to succeed at Yale. Inviting students to apply without test scores was actually inviting students to present insufficient evidence with their applications especially if they weren't enrolled in a secondary school with a lot of resources, academic programming, letters of recommendation that would go in great detail about a student's academic success. This is about equity and transparency and also about giving students the opportunity to put their best foot forward.
0: What advice would you give to a student who's enrolled in a school that doesn't offer AP or IB courses. We know students might look at this policy and think, oh, we're giving an advantage to students who've got a lot of access to those scores because they can use those in lieu of others. What about those students who have never had the chance to take an AP or an IB course or an AP or IB
2: exam? It's a great question. First, don't interpret this policy to mean that you are any sort of disadvantage. We see very strong applicants from all over the world completing all sorts of different, rigorous high school programs. And it's not the case that an AP or IB curriculum is better or more rigorous than programs like the Cambridge A levels or dual enrollment college courses or any other college preparatory program. Next, Focus on preparing for the ACT or the SAT. We know that access to these exams has been restored to pre-COVID levels. In fact, the SAT is more popular than ever in terms of students taking it around the world. And there's a new digital version that is shorter and easier to access for students from all over the country and all over the world. Many parts of the US students can complete the exam for free during the school day. And don't disqualify yourself even if your SAT or ACT score are below Yale's 25th percentile. As we went into in detail in Parts 1 of this three-part experience, we admit students with a wide range of test scores. Scores that are below the median or below the 25th percentile don't automatically disqualify students Mm -hmm. and can in many cases still provide helpful insight to the admissions committee. And please remember that all scores are considered in context and in conjunction with other data on the file. And as we talked about in part two, we're gonna add a short answer question to our application that will allow you to provide us with additional information about your testing experience or your test score. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about this edition, not because I wanna give all my wonderful colleagues additional things to read (laughs) as we evaluate tens of thousands of applications, but because we want to highlight to our applicants that a human being is looking at this test score and processing it in connection with every other part of your application file.
1: Inevitably, with a new policy, there's gonna be lots of kind of questions and I assume confusion out there. What would your advice be to students who are trying to navigate our new test flexible policy uh, and might find it a little daunting or confusing?
2: I hope that once you sort of read our website and maybe listen to uh, this podcast Mm -hmm. or all three episodes, you'll actually feel a little bit more empowered about this than you might have uh, at the onset. So first, take a deep breath. Based on my experience, you probably don't need to spend as much mental energy deciding which scores to submit as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. Make sure you meet the requirement, but sometimes it's just easier to submit all the scores that you have and allow us to make the decisions. If a certain type of score really feels like an outlier and you can meet our requirements with another score, use that score. But if things are mostly in line across your whole basket of standardized testing, Mm -hmm. just submit them all. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to overthink this. Mm -hmm. We want to provide this flexibility to empower students to put their best foot forward, but we do not want it to add additional stress to this process. For most applicants to Yale It is just going to be the case that you're going to want to submit all the testing you have Mm -hmm. because it's going to be strong. It's going to show that you're prepared to do the work at Yale. And you just want to showcase those strengths for us. And finally, don't interpret the fact that we accept four types of scores to mean that you should go out and take more tests. There is no bonus to submitting more scores than you need to. We've got just one more for you.
0: We know that there are many people who look at standardized test scores and their place in college admissions generally, and particularly the highly selective admissions, as a barrier for students who are from disadvantaged backgrounds. What would you say to those who see that Yale is bringing tests back and think that that is in effect, increasing barriers for students who've lacked some access to higher education historically?
2: It's a great question. It's one I've been thinking about a lot over the last few years as we've been considering our standardized testing policy. We take barriers to the application process to Yale very seriously. And one of the things that I'm most proud of over my 11 years as the Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid has been sort of removing the barriers that have seemed unnecessary while keeping the parts of the process that are incredibly valuable to us and our work. As a staff, we are deeply familiar with the research that shows the difference in performance on the ACT and SAT by things like race and socioeconomic status. The test scores, however, I feel are not the cause of those differences but actually the diagnostic tool used to showcase them. And all the other elements of the application that we consider so closely, especially the student's context, allow us to control for those differences based on background in a meaningful and thoughtful way. If we were just considering these scores and putting them in a formula and using the formula to dictate who we admitted to Yale College, I would not be comfortable going back to a standardized testing requirement. Mm -hmm. But because people like Mark and Hannah and all the other wonderful people who work in the Yale admissions office are considering and grounding these scores in a student's context, every single time we open up an application, I feel like this has the potential to be an important way for us to continue to diversify the Yale student body. We have changed the profile of who goes to Yale over the past 10 or 11 years, even before we changed our standardized testing profile. Mm-hmm. It was a tool that we were able to use to identify talented young people from around the country and around the world from contexts that we have never seen applicants from. Mm-hmm. And we We're missing that data point from many talented young people who are applying to the college from diverse backgrounds in the past four years. As long as we are committed to whole person review, as long as we are controlling for context, considering a student's background, thinking about a test score in the high school context and a neighborhood context and a student-specific context, I feel like this can be a really powerful way to actually increase the diversity of the L student body. One of the things we love about our job here in the admissions office is it is so incredible to review applications from so many different contexts from around the country and around the world on literally a daily basis. It is energizing and just is such a opportunity and honor. But you are actually confronted with the incredible inequities in the K12 education system in this country on yep. a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And these inequities are so much deeper than anything that the SAT or ACT uh, is able to deal with. Understanding that and seeing that application by application, day by day in the work that we do, I think truly allows us to consider the standardized testing that a student presents to us in the context of those inequities and then use it to try and bring incredibly talented students to Yale
1: all right. Thank you for joining us, Jeremiah. And thank you for sharing all of this insight. We'll have you back on soon.
2: Yeah. Can we ask you to stick around for our bonus episode, Jeremiah? A bonus episode. <laughs> Ooh. Always a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Hannah and Mark, thank you so much for having me.
1: So before we close this episode out, we want to emphasize a few important points. Students who have applied without test scores since 2020 have gotten the same thoughtful whole-person review as applicants with scores.
0: Students who have been admitted without test scores have done well academically, and we have felt really confident about offering them admission. In all of those cases, other elements of the application file gave us the evidence that we needed to be assured that they were set up for success at Yale.
1: We think this new policy is the right one for us. We aren't going to make any claims about what other colleges should do. We're not trying to chase rankings here. We don't have any financial stake in the testing organizations. And we don't think test scores are any more or less valuable than they were before 2020.
0: Finally, we're feeling good about this policy, but we are not 100% certain that we've got it exactly right. (laughs) The job of being an admissions officer means that you're trying to predict the future, but that only works if you have an open mind and if you have a pretty healthy dose of humility about how much you can actually know and how much you can predict. With this new policy, we're trying to take the same approach, and we might be wrong, but we think it's the best choice for us right now. Thanks, as always, to former admissions officer Andrew Brick Johnson, who composes our music. Check him out at andrewbrickjohnson.com.
1: If you have comments or an idea for an episode, drop us a line at YaleAdmissionsPodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And finally, remember that the views expressed in this podcast are ours, and don't necessarily represent those of Yale University.